English Art International presents Fresh Talk, conversations about creativity in the 21st century. Jason Forrest is an electronic musician working in a variety of forms. His sample-based music has been a pioneering force in the experimental music community. He's been credited as being pivotal in the emergence of the breakcore genre. And since 2005, Jason has been based in Berlin with his wife, the artist Jen Ray. Jason has released records in the U.S., U.K., EU, and Japan, and his work has been reviewed and featured in periodicals globally. He has played live on four continents and has a large international audience. When I caught up with Jason, I found out that he's just about to move back to New York City. Jason, I've known you since the 90s when you were a visual artist in Atlanta and you had started writing and curating at the time you moved to New York. What made you move from being a visual artist to a laptop musician? Well, I think like many people, I moved from a big city to the big city with stars in my eyes. I, I moved there to be like really an international art star. And, uh, you know, I, I was pretty methodical about how I was going to do that. And, you know, kind of being a, a semi-big fish in a decent-sized pond and being just a nobody in the, the biggest pond of all, I, I basically took like two or three months and went to like every show. And I'm really, really not exaggerating when I said I saw about 90% of art that was up in New York City every week. I mean, I spent like three and four days going to the art galleries. I mean, uptown, downtown, Brooklyn, you name it. And certainly that was when Chelsea was really becoming the, the force that it became. So that was your research? Yeah, I did this research. I just want to know, like, well, what's out there and what's happening and who are the artists that I want to become friends with? And... um I just realized it was an art scene that I was not comfortable with and I felt was fraught with a lot of really compromised ideas from what I considered the ideal was to be involved in the art community. So that said, uh, you know, I was also interested in a lot of electronic music at the time and I started going to concerts and I mean, I'd go to, I remember one day I went to an opening and literally had somebody look me up and down and walk away when he realized that my shoes weren't that nice. And then that night I went to a concert and like the headliner and I drank beer for like an hour or two after the show. And the people in the music community in New York, people that I really looked up to were totally approachable and we had I just had more in common. At the same time, I think New York is such a hard place, especially that you, you, no one ever has any money. So I didn't have enough money to make this kind of grandiose work that I was making in Atlanta. And naturally, it didn't cost that much to have a computer and just to work on it. And I was interested in electronic music, and I was really interested in the work of Christian Markley, this uh, artist, sculptor, and musician. And I was lucky enough to assist him on a project for a few months. And then that just was one of many things that just kind of helped me to transition into the music scene in New York. The th other thing that was really funny is that 
like I said, I'd done a little bit of music in Atlanta, and I even released my first cassette via the gallery at Sandra Hudson. And uh, uh, but I was definitely an artist. Like if you if I had a business card, it would have said Jason Forrest artist on it. But I'd done a little bit of music, and it was this weird little equation where I would spend you know ninety percent of my time, and I'd spend ten minute ten percent of my time doing some music, and then get frustrated with that and go back to art. And I found that that equation start radically shifting from spending you know, 30% of my, of my time as an artist and the rest as a musician until it got to the point where I realized that I just hadn't made any art in like a year. And I was like, oh gosh, I guess I'm a musician now. <laughs> Initially, I just got involved with electronic music as a fan, making music and just doing it really poorly. And then I made a kind of a discovery just with how to use the digital software and about sampling. And my music just got really good, really fast. And then when I started to send out demos everywhere, I took all of this art world knowledge that I had about, well, just how one defends one's artwork with, you know, concepts and things and just started to apply that towards, uh, towards music. So, for example, you know, I'd done a lot of, of thinking and research on image appropriation and I realized that the same kind of ideas were true in music with sampling but it just wasn't called appropriation. It was just called sampling and that not many people had really done that much thinking about what sampling could be and mean. And so all these things just kind of played into each other. And I named myself Donna Summer because I thought it would be interesting to make sample-based music and sample someone's name. And I thought it would be interesting to sample a person of a different race and gender. And these were all just really good marketing ideas, I think. And I didn't really even do any of this consciously. I just thought it was funny. And then within a really short period of time, I started traveling internationally and started being featured in a lot of magazines. And then I went from being like starving artist to a guy that's like playing in Europe at, at music festivals and having several thousand people see him frequently. And it was weird. <laughs> and exciting. Totally exciting. I mean, when it happened, I remember, you know, it's actually really funny was when, when something really starts to take off. First of all, you're super excited about it. And then I think your next feeling is, well, wait a minute. Why is this happening to me and not the next guy? My friends aren't getting that kind of press. Why is it for me? It took me a long time to realize it's because I just did it differently. You know, it kind of messes with your head to think like, oh, well, if I play in New York, there's only 30 people to see me. But if I play in Belgium, I can have as many as 2,000. I get to the point where I was traveling from New York to Europe about once a month. And I was just like, well, I'm just losing all this money. We knew that Jennifer Ray, my, my wife, and I had to leave New York. And we were just like, well, you know, let's just give Berlin a shot. And we really had very, very low ambitions to stay there like months or something. And, you know, here we go. We've been, I've been a professional musician for 11 years now. And, uh, and lived in Berlin for eight. So it's, uh, it's been crazy. I do think that it makes a difference that you're relating your work to research. You've got historical references and you do talk about that. I think that's different from just doing it. I was an art, art critic and, you know, I was an artist and I knew a lot of those theories very well about what was happening, contemporary trends and in conceptual art, for example, I think I was reading an article or some writing by Bruce Nauman who talked about that the, a really good artist's work is like an onion and that you have these layers you peel through. And if you really want to get to someone's work, then you can really go all the way down. But you can also just really appreciate it on the surface. And I realized that a lot of those ideas just hadn't really been manifested in music, especially in kind of experimental electronic music, because 
in some ways, some of those people come out of just such a different culture where you're just not really used to speaking about the ideas and ideals behind the work. For me, however, I was always pretty garrulous and at the same time, like happy to kind of come up with little, you know, assignments and and exercises to make my music and had a lot of reasons for making things that I did. And so when I look back, of course, I see it was just, again, just really good marketing. And I did have a lot to say. And I've always been really vocal about it and open. In some ways, I'm kind of really all the way on the other side of the bell curve of my career from starting and just kind of learning to, you know, I've never been famous, but I've definitely known everywhere in the world. But now I really feel like kind of towards the end of my musical career, at least towards the end of my like really main like relevancy in some regards. So I've really done a lot of thinking about what I've done, what my legacy is, what I did well, what I what I screwed up, what I did badly. <laughs> and anyways, what I'm getting to is that, you know, I've thought a lot about my music and how I made it. And I think I just was really into the band Yes when I was in high school. And also the other band that I was really into was Public Enemy, who was a band that did a lot of sampling. And I realized that like those two acts pretty much defined all my music and still do to some regard. I mean, I've done a lot of music, dealt with a lot of kind of disco sampling, literally sampled everything from folk music to heavy metal. I've had a band. I've composed for a number of different things. I've performed everywhere from really big art museums to a, an actual rock stadium in Norway or to my smallest concert in Phoenix, Arizona for one person. And in some ways, I've done it all. I mean, I've been to Japan four or five times. I went to Australia last year. I've been to Russia a bunch of times. I just got back from Brazil for a second time, so I'm not famous, but I've had a really good career and I really know kind of what I did. And I find it amazing that after all that's happened, that I continue to go back to my original sources of inspiration that I had when I was 18. I think that's kind of cool. I was reading how your live shows involved, I'm quoting you, bad dancing, possibly some blood and a few shattered laptops. Somehow I'm able to communicate to people, allow them to feel relaxed and at ease, just to have fun and to get wild. There's a certain wildness that comes out in my show and it's, it's difficult. So to explain what that is, is that I use almost nothing. I have a laptop and a microphone. That's it. I don't like to have any kind of MIDI controllers or I, I played with some video stuff at one point, but the truth is. You just give me a laptop and a microphone, and I somehow can turn on the switch that makes me into an entertainer. So and all they can see is you? There's no video backdrop or anything? No way. It's, it's funny because when, I had, when you put video backdrops on them, people tend to watch them. And when they're watching TV, they're not engaged actively. And my whole show is about really, really feeling something and making this moment happen. When I was a kid, I was really involved in like straight edge punk music. And so I went to a lot of punk shows. And the one thing that I learned at those punk shows was that you have to play every show like it's your last show. 
I mean, if you're a punk, maybe it is your last show. So, like, I remember going to kids' parties they did in their parents' house when they were out of town, and it was, like, ten kids there. And these bands would put their every drop of heart and soul into it, and let alone tons and tons of sweat. And I really deeply felt that ethos and applied that towards electronic music. I'm not a skinny guy. I'm bald. I'm pretty regular looking. But what I'm able to do is I'm able to take this very high energy music that I have and I somehow emulate and like air guitar all of the sounds and no noises and weirdnesses and movement through my body and send it to the audience. And I know it sounds crazy to say but I'm really good at it, and it's really amazing. <laughs> well, who follows your work? Basically, I have like kind of three different groups of fans. Um, the first group were kind of like, I guess, more European electronic music fans, people that were a little bit more interested in the elect- experimental side. And then when the, the, the big record hit in 2005, which is called Shamelessly Exciting, I uh, was kind of big with like, maybe indie rock people in America that were just kind of getting interested in electronic music. Like the scene and the kind of genres and the appreciation for electronic music has really changed drastically in the past six or seven years. So that was kind of in the beginning of that. And then the third group of fans, which has actually been by far the most loyal and the most dedicated, are actually just like, you know, scuzzy ravers. They don't look like much, but they're true blue. (laughs) <laughs> I just know my performance just makes them go crazy and I just really know how to do that well. Honestly, you can put me in front of a, an old folks home and I still make it work. Tell me about how the Network Awesome project works. Who's involved in that and what do you do exactly? A few years ago, I realized that I really wanted to do something and I'm going to use air quotes here for the radio on TV. And I didn't really know what TV even meant. And so I took a little while and did some research to figure out what what I wanted to do and what was TV, for that matter. And I realized that there's a lot of online trends that were really interesting and that broadcast was really bad. As a result, I realized that I didn't really want to become like a TV producer. I didn't really want to write for a show or even act or even film a show. I really wanted to run a TV network that was responsible for putting all these things together. We realized that just so much of the TV films and documentaries and everything else that we're interested in are already on YouTube and that it's legal to organize YouTube into a a separate channel. And I've met with senior executives over there and they say, yeah, you guys are totally legal. So we made our own TV show, our own TV network out of curating YouTube. And we feature films, documentaries, and collections of videos from all aspects of of time and all aspects of different genres and trends in, in broadcasting and media history. So, for example, one day we might show a series of films about or a series of documentaries and collections of videos about heavy metal music. And the next day, we might do a whole series and collections of, of films about pop cinema from the 60s. At the same time, we might do something about war. Probably our, our biggest week was about electronic music that studied electronic music from basically the 50s to today, kind of exploring every different trend as visualized in, in film and TV and interviews and concerts and all different ways that we explore media via TV and the image. It's up right now, networkawesome.com. And because we focus on content that's focused towards more passionate demographics of people, you know, 
not really the mainstream, but, you know, like horror movie fans, they're a very passionate group. We actually have a lot of uh, volunteers that are very passionate that help us run the site. So we actually have 174 people that help us run Network Awesome day in and day out. There's about 35 people that, you know, I email with every few days or day who are responsible for different, uh, they have different responsibilities on the site. We have a a magazine editor. We publish one or two long form articles a day. Uh, We feature six new shows a day. We're starting to do a lot more with advertisers and all kinds of things. And this week, uh, we actually produced our first original series. So I've actually been in a warehouse filming 30 bands in five days for a new kind of music talk variety show that will start in September. What do you plan to do with yourself in New York? There's a lot of opportunities with Network Awesome, and we actually have some other channels that we're developing at the moment as well, and uh, and other original productions that we're working on. So there's just a lot of opportunities and a lot of different, you know, marketing, advertising, and then, of course, like online technologies and uh, even to some degree application development. Yeah, my plan is to move to New York City and to uh, continue to build the company. I have a partner that's here in Berlin, and he'll continue to run the original productions from here, and we'll move all the advertising and and marketing to the U.S. Fantastic, Jason. Congratulations. Thank you. listening to Fresh Talk with Jason Forrest. Read more about Jason and hear other podcasts in this series on freshartinternational.com.